On this season of Chronicle, we've been sitting down with podcasters from all walks of life whilst they bring to this show a European horror movie that they are looking forward to discuss, but for the most part are movies that may be first-time viewings for myself. That's not the case with this episode. We've been away for a while and I wanted to return with a solo episode where I get to pick a movie that I really wanted to discuss that, to be honest with you, I've not really found a place on any other show to do it. So on this very special episode of Chronicle, it's just me back again doing what we used to do back in the old days of the show. On later episodes of Chronicle in Season 4, my guests will return with their picks. So sit back, get comfortable, and let's talk about a movie which isn't comfortable by a director who is pushing boundaries that I don't even think we thought existed in cinema until we physically saw them on the screen. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish, and you're listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Ignition, T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, liftoff. Welcome back to Chronicle Podcast. This is season four, episode number seven. We have crossed the halfway mark, but we've been away for a wee while. Now, the truth be told, the reason that we haven't put out an episode since June is primarily down to the fact that on the main feed of podcasts that I do, the podcast under the stairs, we have been busy um, enacting is probably the best word a series that I do every year that is so vast and so time-consuming that it ultimately culminated this year in 40 recorded episodes of the podcast being released in the space of two months, covering 
the best part of 120 movies overall. So yeah, you could see I've been a little bit busy elsewhere, but I'm glad to be back and I'm glad to be doing this show for you. Like I said in the introduction, from the next episode, so episode number 8 onwards to the end of the season, I'll be getting more guests back and they will be picking a European horror movie to sit down and discuss with me. Hopefully sometimes movies that I've not seen before, but on other occasions movies that I may have not seen in a while, but I'm looking forward to chatting again with a guest host. Returning to this one, I was afforded the opportunity to do something a little bit darker, a little bit weirder, and something that, since seeing many moons ago, I've kind of been left with a, if not, when do we do this review? We're going to be talking about the Jorg Butter Great movie, Scram. Now, this is a movie which is available... On Blu-ray, in the UK it was released by Arrow Video. In the States, I'm not entirely sure who the label is, but as always, I'll track it down and put it in the show notes for you guys out there. I remember buying this movie upon release date purely dim to the fact that I had Necromantic and Necromantic 2. Two movies that, you know, for the most part, I enjoy for what they are, and I appreciate the talent behind them, but are incredibly controversial movies. The fact that neither one made it onto a banned list in the UK proper is kind of mind-blowing considering the movies that did make the video nasties. But Burtgrit, um, who's a name that I will mispronounce as we travel through this one, um, because I'm not German and I'm going to struggle with this one. His filmography, in terms of directing actual features and not like kind of documentaries or shorts, is relatively short in itself. The man only really did four movies and this is the final movie he did. His active years of directing, relatively short as well. Um, in terms of his actual full-on, proper horror movies, you're talking Necromantic in 88, um, Der Tod King, um, which is The Death King from 1990, so a couple of years later. 91 is Necromantic 2 and Scram is 93. He would go off and do other things that I'm like marginally obsessed with. Uh, probably the biggest one in terms of things that I just like want to stroke myself raw to is he is the guy behind the very first episode of a TV show called Lex that I was obsessed with as a teenager. Used to stay up very late, um, mostly because of my inability to sleep. And I would watch Lex on Bravo, which was a channel at the time, um, like usually one, two in the morning, and would just be regaled with this low-budget Canadian sci-fi nonsense. But he directed the inaugural episode of that and has been relatively active since, doing documentary shorts, uh, taking part in interviews, and just generally being a part of things that are happening in the world of, of, of the genre and film in general. Scramsey's last movie though, and in a lot of respects it kind of feels like the combination 
of a lot of what he as a director has been exploring and that in itself makes me kind of excited the reason behind this is it's it's like weirdly esoteric in a lot of respects and I think that's where people maybe trip up I mean he's always been a director that that kind of plays with the art house aesthetic in a really gritty manner but this is the one where he fully embraces a, a bizarre dreamlike logic I mean those who were wanting to double bill movies about the kind of transcendial experience of the afterlife of a kind of almost a snake eating its tail loop and a paradox of time could double bill scram pretty easily with enter the void and be wholly head fucked by the end of it for completely different reasons but they do share a lot of dna they are carrying the the afterlife thoughts the kind of purgatorial experience after the point of death the final glimmer the last milky tear in the eye of of someone who is then reliving the experiences that got them to the place that they're in where they themselves are almost contemplating their existence or what wrought them to the point of of death and that's kind of what Scram's doing here. The synopsis for this one as listed on IMDb is As a serial killer, Lothar Scram lies dying in his own bed. Horrific memories of his miserable life of paranoia, self-harm and rejection flash before his eyes. A tragic look into the mind of a serial killer. Now, I mean he's technically not a serial killer. Um, well, to the best of our knowledge, he's not. We only ever actually see him kill two people in here. And two people in a one-off killing session does not a serial killer make if we're going by the official designation. But I kind of like what they're doing here. And I don't know if that was necessarily as hammered down and defined in 93 when the movie came out. And it's clearly something that's in the background of the director himself as the movie opens with a quote from Carol Pandram who is a serial killer that if anyone gets the time to you should really read it about him. He genuinely wanted to kill the world um, and I mean like one person at a time. Not the kind of I'll drop a bomb and everyone's wiped out as in if I could strangle every human individually one at a time till I saw the life leave them then that's the job I want. Um, so Scram is kind of, it opens with a quote from Pandram, so you can see that's at the forefront of his mind. The movie itself starts with Lothar Scram lying on his death, well they say deathbed, he's lying dying, he's, you know, he's, he's on the ground and the life is slowly moving away from him and we jump to a scene the first scene we're jumping to here is specifically a scene of him inviting into his house uh, to I think they might be Mormons um, inviting them into his house they're preaching the word of God he goes away to fetch one of them a drink murders the guy viciously by slitting his throat in front of the woman before killing the woman with a hammer, raping her, and then 
we jumped to a scene of him painting a wall and then time was all disoriented. We basically jumped back before this. And this is the kind of, I bet you wonder how I ended up here, let me show you scenario. He's a deeply disturbed guy. He is a taxi driver. He lives in an apartment complex. And the only person he has any real contact with is his neighbour. His neighbour is a prostitute that he may have a slight infatuation with. Not only is he attracted to her, but he's also physically repulsed by the way she makes money. He's sexually repressed. Uh, so much so that in this movie, at several times, we will see him like dry hump a pillow he has an inflatable torso which has a fake vagina that he will have sex with um he uh, masturbates over her when he knocks her out with the kind of date rape drugs in the movie um he uh, mutilates his penis potentially as a way to stop him doing the things that he's doing and has waking nightmares of um, removed vaginas with teeth um, and yeah that's not unsettling at all essentially we follow a couple of set pieces up to the day of the killing which kind of catalogues his broken psyche um, it involves him you know having contact with this woman uh, befriending her and offering to drive her to meet some important clients. The reason he's driving her or being her, her chauffeur is because she is a bit unsettled by them and doesn't know what will happen if he isn't there to sit outside and drive her home and, and be seen as there as a kind of protector, kind of quasi-pimp, so to speak. And kind of rightly so, the first time we see her enact it, one of these events, she's actually dressed in like a Hitler youth outfit and that kind of plays into they're making her do things that she's uncomfortable with especially in Germany at this time I imagine deeply uncomfortable with as a kind of celebratory experience after her you know receiving money for this action she takes him out to dinner at what I would describe as the most unappetizing dinner I've ever seen in a restaurant and she offers to pay and as the money is held up he flashes to the kind of physical sounds of her, her having sex in the room next to him, which kind of disgusts him a little bit. Is this the money she's going to use to play that she's, you know, made from this sexual act that he is repulsed by? And that in himself, you know, kind of sets things, not necessarily fully in motion, but the first proper catalyst that things are going to go a bit weird um, out with the scenes of him just generally masturbating to her having sex next door um, he goes out his way and mutilates his penis by essentially grabbing the foreskin um, and I'm not going to lie about this one they don't really shy the camera away from this it's a great practical effect assuming it is a hopefully it's a practical effect where he pins his foreskin down to a table and then hammers nails through it um, and the camera doesn't really shy away from that and it's, that's one of the things that's worth mentioning here, specifically about Scram. Like all the movies that uh, Gerrit does, they really, really, really revel in the graphic nature of, of kind of body horror. Like the idea of decomposition, necrophilia. In the case of this one, um, dominance and self-mutilation. 
are all on display sordidly and without the, the camera ever really moving away from that. Um, he'll later drug her and then masturbate over her. Which once again, deeply unpleasant scene. Uh, it's, you know, a, a, the, the idea of someone, you know, forcibly rendering you unconscious and then like masturbating over you is, is something pretty, pretty fucking vile. And, it, you know, it doesn't shy away in this movie at all from that. Ultimately, we follow him through all these different experiences whilst in the background, Lothar appears to have, like, deep psychological issues, specifically with kind of like a body dysmorphia. He is constantly of the opinion that his leg has been amputated and he has a fake leg. Now this isn't true, he's got two legs, but he feels that he's wearing a prosthetic limb, which will ultimately play to his downfall at the end of the movie, but it just adds to this level of psychological trauma. It reminds me a lot of Maniac, that idea of, like especially in the remake when Elijah Wood is being attacked by his own visions, being destroyed by himself, and he imagines himself being a mannequin underneath his skin. It's kind of that idea. It's this deep, deeply weird psychological effect that he has that no one else appears to be aware of. He also has a difficulty sharing things about his life. He's like deeply closed that way. We kind of look back where we start with this one, with him welcoming in the you know the the two quasi Mormons we'll call them Mormons for the sake of this review, and ultimately the acts that will lead him to be painting over his wall. And as he's painting over his wall, he imagines his leg, his prosthetic leg, kind of falling off, which makes him fall. Now, once again, he doesn't have a prosthetic limb, but in his brain it does so. The effect of him losing balance is real, and he falls, uh, apparently breaking his neck and dying. And then that's the vision that we've seen. And we kind of see him move towards the afterlife, um, walking through the, this bizarre kind of woodland scene, and moving towards an angel who slaps him down and refuses him entry to the gates of heaven. And then we see his neighbour knocking for this you know this chauffeur job where she's determined that he needs to be there to help her otherwise something bad's going to happen and we see the after effect of what this is if she's not there she's ultimately bound to a chair and tortured to death granted we don't see the torturing to death but it's heavily implied that he wasn't there to save her and thus bad things happened to her don't necessarily think it adds anything to the story per se, but it's this idea of these are the visions that he's haunted with and the purgatorial afterlife that he's stuck. Scram is an incredibly short movie. I mean, this is about an hour when you take the credits off either side. And it's kind of a bizarre snapshot. It certainly owes a lot to something like a Henry portrait of a serial killer, for sure. And in a lot of respects, also kind of forms other movies that I've seen since, these kind of psychological snapshots, these time periods of, of, a, of a killer's mind. We are ultimately with Scram at the end and then relive the moments that led up to the end, the, the things, the elements, the pieces that are put in place that lead to, towards where he ends up. It's highly experimental, incredibly low budget, but uh, fearless. And that's the one thing you must say 
about uh, Gorg when you talk about his filmmaking is is like surprisingly unadulteratedly fearless at all points like if you look at the like some directors get that necromantic out their system in their first movie and then try and tailor and palette their cinema to something that makes him more commercially viable and if anything book it feels like he's going the other way He's, he's refining his style. Scram is certainly a movie that feels more arty than a necromantic. It feels like it has a weird, like I mentioned up front, an esoteric vibe that's more interesting, a kind of psychological analysis on analysis on the, the, the human deepest, darkest desires for not only the worst that we can do, but how we take that out upon others and ourselves. But at the same time, it, it has this weird ass kind of aesthetic, which is definitely in the realms of the art house. It's a, a surprisingly unsettling movie, considering like you can see through it, it's it's cheaply made. Um, the vagina with teeth, I mean, looks cheaply made, but that weirdly adds to its its unsettling feeling when it's on the screen. And then furthermore, scenes of mutilation to his genitals, you know, just once again compound that as well. Scram's the sort of movie that is really, really difficult to recommend to anyone, ever. It's not something I could link, well, if you watched this, you should watch this. Even if you'd watched the aforementioned Henry of a Port, uh, Portrait of a Serial Killer, I don't know if I'd be like, well, you know what you should be checking out? You should be checking out Scram. It kind of feels like the sort of movie that is at the end of the kind of toad road, you know what I mean, of experience, especially with his cinema. I can see why he wasn't keen to rush and do anything after this. This kind of feels like he's worked that messaging out of his system and he's ready to go off and do other things. This is a weird capper to the movies that came before. I mean, Necromantic 2 came out the year before this. And then this movie, and then that's him done. And yeah, he's still active. He did a short for a kind of collection of German atrocity horror. Um, but it's not a feature. And all the other stuff he's done aren't necessarily features. They're interesting elements, but not that way. And it kind of feels like at this one, he was done. He kind of finished, washed his hands of it, and, you know, moved on. It's a surprisingly powerful movie and once again one of those things that are difficult to even verbalise. What I'm saying to you here um, isn't really doing the film credit. There are certain movies that I refer to as being experiences and Scram is definitely one of those. You've been listening to Chronicle Podcast. I'll be right back after this. And you've been listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. This has been season four, episode number seven, and we have discussed a little movie called Scram. Now, like I mentioned during this episode, we will be returning with guests. Episode number eight, we'll see the return of a guest picking a European horror movie to sit down and discuss on this show. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I can only apologise that we've been away so long and it feels good to get this review 
out on this feed and like I say continue the content through and officially close out our fourth season of podcasting. Speaking of podcasting, on this feed there are lots of shows that you can check out. Currently I'm doing the Nasty podcast with Mark Ball as we continue our look at the tier 3 list of video nasties. That show will be returning this month from the same hiatus that Chronicle was on due to summer series. We'll be kicking off a brand new season of Opera Omnia, a show that exclusively looks at a director's entire filmography every season. This upcoming season will have resident guest host JP from the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast as we go through the three theatrical releases of one Mr. Alex Garland. We'll be looking at Ex Machina, we'll be looking at Annihilation and of course his most recent 2022 movie Men. So please please support that show. It is always a ton of fun to do and it's great to sit down with different hosts every season to do it. And then finally, where to begin with is continuing its current season looking at film noir and neo-noir through 10 picks that I will pick for you and you will review. The most recent episode just covered a little movie called The Maltese Falcon. You may have heard of it before. It's kind of seminal when we talk about the genre of film noir but the next movie we'll be discussing is Blood Simple, the film debut of the Coen brothers and one of my favourite movies ever made. So it's a perfect time to jump in and get your toes wet. Chronicle Podcast was written, recorded and edited by me for you. Please keep your eyes peeled for the next episode which will be dropping next month with a brand new guest host. But before I go, Remember these wise sage words from serial killer Carol Pandram. I don't believe in man, devil, nor God. I hate the whole damned human race, including myself. I preyed upon the weak, the harmless, and the unsuspecting. This lesson I was taught by others. Might makes right. This is Duncan McLeish from Chronicle Podcast, the almanac of old world horrors. Until the next time. Ignition. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Liftoff.